This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. I'm going to be starting out in 16 and then wrapping it up all the way to the end. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, For with regard to this sect, we know that everything it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Least they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them." Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Thank you, Sarah. So my family and I love to go to Disney World, and we love to go to Disney World because we have a blast when we go to Disney World, and we, go, we have a blast when we go to Disney World because they fully immerse you in everything that's happening in, around you. So like when you're in line to go on the Little Mermaid ride, you feel like, man, I'm getting into the Little Mermaid movie, and yet nothing is more immersive than Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And I'm not the big Star Wars guy. You all know that. You know who is normally the big Star Wars guy. But when you walk into this place, it feels like, oh my word, I'm in a Star Wars movie. All Everything around you just immerses you in there. And last time we got these cool bands that you could even go around and do this bounty hunting thing. And it felt like, man, I am a part of this Star Wars movie, this Star Wars story. You get on the, the Millennium Falcon and you blow stuff up and it's just a blast because you, you put yourself there and you feel like you're in the story. 
we all have this strong desire to be part of something. It's why we like to read fiction and why we like to watch movies. We, we tend to put ourselves in the story and really place ourselves there because we want to be part of something bigger. Here's the thing. We are called to be part of the greatest story that has ever been told. Today marks 103, excuse me, 103 weeks of being in the book of Acts. That's one week shy of two years, for those of you not great at math. And why are we here, or why have we been here? Flip back to Acts chapter 1. I want to remind us of what we are doing in the book of Acts. Why did we ever come here in the first place? Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says this. He presented himself, this is Jesus, alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's, Jesus presents himself alive, and he's speaking about the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're like, the, the kingdom, like, I, are, are you bringing it right now? What, what's happening? What's going on? And Jesus doesn't answer their question directly, but he gives them this command in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you don't know when the kingdom is coming, but you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to proclaim me to the world. You're going to tell the world all about me. So let's look back now at the end of Acts. Flip back to chapter 28. Look at verse 30. This is Paul. What is Paul doing? Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all to, who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It starts with the kingdom of God being proclaimed. It ends with the kingdom of God being being proclaimed. And what does that mean? It's the same message. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in control. Jesus is King. This is the story that we get to be a part of, church. We get to be a part of that story. That's why we're here in the book of Acts. For two years, we've been pressing through the book of Acts. We've been preaching, we've been praying, we've tried to equip you for this one purpose, that God would grow us in our witness, that God would grow us in our passion to reach out to the people around us and press the gospel into the lives of the people that we interact with. That has been our prayer for the entire book of Acts. And I think as we end our time together in the book of Acts, we need to ask ourselves this question in reality. Am I a better witness today than I was two years ago? Has the needle really moved? What stories can I point to from the last two years that say, man, that probably wouldn't have happened before the Lord impacted me with his scriptures and pressed Jesus into my heart so that I would want to press him into the lives of others? What conversations have you had that you could point to that says, 
the book of Acts has had impact in my life. It has helped me become more bold witness for Jesus. Maybe you're there. I, I pray that you are. I have been praying that you would get there for the last two years as we've, as we've preached this book. But for the rest of us who maybe haven't got there, you're feeling like, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if the needle has really moved like I, I wanted it to. Let's look one final time in, in this book. There'll be other, many other times to press us to being bold witnesses for Jesus, but this last message in the book of Acts, let's press in, let's lean in, let's see what is there. So today, let's do that with a prayer. And our hope is that this wouldn't just be a one-week prayer, a one-Sunday morning prayer, that, but it would become a resounding prayer for our life. So this is it. This is our big prayer for the morning. God Help me live as a witness. God, help me live as a witness. Because we need the Lord to press this into us. We can't muscle this along. There's no amount of guilt that I can give you from the pulpit that's going to make you a better witness. And I don't want to motivate you with guilt. I want to motivate you with the love of Jesus Christ. And so let's see that this morning. Let's lean in and say, God, help me live as a witness. So we're going to look at three final challenges from the book of Acts. Three final challenges from the book of Acts. The first is this. I will value the mission. I will value the mission. We're going to lean and we're going to focus mostly on the last two verses of the book of Acts because I want to end where Luke ends. I want to see what is Luke emphasizing at the end. We'll look back at some of those other verses, but the the main text that we're going to go to is verse 30 and 31 this morning. So let's look back at verse 30. Let your eyes fall there. He lived there two whole years, this is Paul, at his own expense. So where is he living at his own expense? Prison. He's in prison. He is under armed guard, and he is living there at his own expense. That's a, that's a kind of a foreign concept to us because you don't live at your own expense if you go to prison in our day. But in order to have a better situation, Paul decides, I'm going to pay money so that I can better position myself to share the gospel. We know, <clears throat> excuse me, that Paul was living among Jews in Rome. We know this historically that he was in a very Jewish part of Rome, which is kind of crazy to think. Who are the people that have been going after Paul? The Jews. And yet here he is paying his own money. How did he get the money? We don't even really know. Was he making tents or was it donations from the churches? The the text doesn't tell us, but we know that somehow he had funds that he was paying to better position himself to preach the gospel to the people that he was called to preach the gospel to in this area. It was at his own expense. Uh, why? Why? Why would Paul do that? Paul has had this desire for a long time. Look at Romans 1, 9 through 11. It says this, for God is my witness, Paul wrote this, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayer, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul's desire has been to be in Rome proclaiming the gospel. 
That is what Paul has wanted to do. And God finally has allowed that to happen. Remember back in Acts 23, verse 11, God gave him this promise when he said, the, the following night the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul knew he was there, but he had a desire to be there. What's interesting is that as you look historically, Acts 23 would have been happening right around the time that Paul would have been writing Romans 1. So there was this desire Paul had and this promise that God had given, and they meshed up, they lined up. Paul's vision for ministry and God's vision for Paul's ministry were aligned. And so Paul was strategically using his funds and his situation for the mission to go forward. He was placing value on the mission. It was his desire, and there was an opportunity to live that out. Psalm 37 says, if we delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. If we delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Paul, Paul was given the desires of his heart because he was delighting in the Lord. His ideas were aligned with what God had for him. Sometimes God gives you your desires when you're close to him and love him. Like yesterday when IU played Purdue. God gave me the desires of my heart. And maybe not so much with one of our other elders who I was with watching the game. Not because Doug's not close to the Lord. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Doug's close to the Lord. He loves Jesus. Just saying, maybe me a little bit more. I don't know. Uh, all right, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, like I can have a desire. I can have a desire to play in the NBA. But that opportunity has not presented itself and probably will not present itself since I am rapidly nearing the age of 40. Like, that's not going to happen. But I can honestly say that my strong desire is to be doing ministry here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's Ephesians 4. It's my job description. And by God's grace, in this season, God's vision and my vision are aligned. And so I am able to do ministry here among you, and it's my passion and my desire and my joy, and God is blessing that in this season. But God took me on a very specific journey to get me to that desire. I, I didn't come out of high school thinking I'm going to be a pastor. In fact, it had never crossed my mind ever that I would want to go into ministry. I came out of high school, and I went to school to be a music teacher. And that lasted not even a semester. And then I decided maybe I would go work in a recording studio. And I, f I finished that degree and never, ever have I worked in a recording studio. And then I was managing restaurants and I thought maybe this is the path that God has for me. And then God used people and circumstances and situations to draw my heart to ministry and to press me into not just any ministry, but a very specific kind of ministry that God brought Jamie and I together. And that is why I met redemption. God had to lead my heart to the right desires. I had to press in to Jesus as I pressed into him, our desires aligned. But this isn't just a, a full-time ministry thing, church. That, that's my story, but that's not the story for most of you. God has wired you. He has called you to a specific job and a family and a group of people. But all of us, 
all of us, each and every single one of us need to desire to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to value the mission. Whether you're being paid to do it like I am or whether you're being paid to do something else, you are still an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We need to spend ourselves toward the mission. We need to spend our resources towards the mission. The mission is the mission regardless of what you're paid to do. So where is your desire to preach the gospel? I mean, really, not where should it be, but where is it actually? What does where you spend your time tell you about where your desire actually is to preach the gospel? How about where you spend your treasures? How you use your talents? Proclaiming the gospel will cost us something. It should cost us something. And we should desire to spend that cost if it is really a heart desire for us to share Jesus with those around us. Paul was spending his own money to position himself to share the gospel. Is that something that we're willing to do? Jamie talked last week about adding an extra chair to your dinner table. That there's a cost to that. There's a cost of your family time. There's a, there's a cost of the actual food that you put on the table. But it's worth it, church. It's worth it to pursue the message of Jesus Christ going forward. We need to value the mission. All right, three final challenges from the book of Acts. I will value the mission. The second is this. I will welcome everyone. I will welcome everyone. Look back at verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. He welcomed all who came to him. What does that word welcomed mean? It means to receive someone favorably, to receive someone favorably. Imagine that. The people who are coming to Paul are Jews who have been persecuting him. They have beaten him. They've plotted to kill him. They are after him, his message, his ministry over and over and over, and he welcomes them in. Sure, not at first, not these specific Jews. They were, they were in another part. It, it tells us that in verse 21 that they didn't really know Paul, but they didn't know Paul because how did Paul get to Rome? Do we remember? Was it a, a nice, easy journey, or were they pressing in really, really fast and doing things that you shouldn't have done? That's exactly how Paul got to Rome. So he got to Rome ahead of the message about Paul, but those people were coming to say, you know who you have in your midst? This guy, he's stirring up trouble. He, he's doing all of these things. They've been, they've been chasing him his entire ministry. Surely they followed him to Rome as well. Word hadn't traveled, but he's there for two years. It was going to get there. But look even at verse 22. But we, the Jews, desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to the sect, speaking of Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So their, their red flags are already up about Paul's message. They're like, uh, we, we want to hear what you have to say because we're not hearing good things about what you're saying. 
Paul took a risk. I mean, a major risk. He was putting himself, he was putting himself out there. In reality, he had escaped from the major pressures of the Jews by coming to Rome. And humanly speaking, if he had just stayed the course, he would have probably been released and it would have been fine. But that's not what he does. He welcomes the Jews and the Gentiles and anyone who wants to come see him. And he welcomes them in because there's a chance to preach Jesus to them. He knows he's probably going to stir up trouble again. The message of the gospel is folly to those who are perishing. But he doesn't care. And God brings people into our sphere of influence. And some of those people, it's really easy to share the gospel with. It's really easy to be excited that they are in our sphere of influence. And then there's some others that we're not so excited God has placed in our sphere of influence. They're challenging people. They don't want to hear what we have to say. They're adversarial even often. But do we welcome them all? Do we receive them favorably? I I think there are a lot of times when we let the the potential of our freedoms or our comforts or our desires get in the way of our ability to actually welcome somebody in because they might think differently than I do on an issue. They, They might ridicule or persecute me. We, we think, man, God can't really ever change their hearts. They, they believe homosexuality isn't a sin. They believe abortion isn't wrong. And, and look, God is clear on those issues, and, and we're not capitulating on truth, but he's also clear that we need to engage with those people. How will they know the truth of Jesus if nobody tells them? Just because people think differently or look different or vote different or see the world differently than we do does not mean we shouldn't engage them with the gospel. In fact, it means they may need the gospel more. And this is what Paul is doing. All who come to Paul. Rome was a diverse place. It was ethnically diverse. It was belief diverse. There were lots of people with different thoughts and different opinions and different religions But all who came, Paul welcomed. All who came. Are you familiar with the story of Rosaria Butterfield? So Rosaria Butterfield is a pastor's wife who lives in Durham, North Carolina. She's authored several books and speaks regularly in churches about this idea of hospitality and welcoming people in. But do you know her story, really? So Rosaria Butterfield was a tenured professor at Syracuse University. She was an openly lesbian activist, and she was extremely antagonistic towards Christianity. In her own words, she says this, she was fervent for the worldviews of Freud, Hegel, Marx, and Darwin. I I strove to stand with the disempowered. And so... She wrote a book to get her tenure at Syracuse University, and she developed this filing system for people who would send her mail. It was pretty simple. If I like what you say, it goes in a stack. If I don't like what you say, it goes in the garbage. But one letter she received escaped her filing system. It was from 
the, the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. And he was very kind and just asked her some questions that challenged some of her presuppositions in ways that she actually enjoyed thinking about, and so she was challenged. And, and Ken Smith challenged her thinking and encouraged her to think differently, and somehow that letter made it into the like pile. And eventually, Ken and Floyd Smith invited Rosaria into their home, and they regularly had her over and talked with her and dialogued with her and pressed her into Jesus and and challenged her thinking on things. And they shared Jesus with her. And then she says this about what impact that had. Then one ordinary day I came to Jesus. Open-handed and naked in this war of worldviews, Ken was there. Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. Jesus triumphed, and I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved, but the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. I weakly believed that if Jesus could conquer death, he could make right my world. Church, this stuff still happens. The... These aren't people that we like to think about engaging. Can we be honest? These are the people that, they're the world, and we want to press the world away, and we want to keep them at an arm's distance. And there's part of that that's okay, but there's part of that that is absolutely not okay. We need to engage them with the truth of the message of the gospel. God still uses us, church, to proclaim his truth to those that we think are lost more than they could ever be saved. But my God is that powerful, is your God. The story of his redeeming love being poured out on sinners like you and me still has impact. I believe that. I want to passionately be in pursuit of that truth in my life. He calls us to welcome sinners. It's what he did. To show them love, to speak truth to them, to show and speak Jesus. Are you welcoming people like that? Are you welcoming all who come? Or do you have your guard up? What if, what if they hurt me? What if this negatively impacts my family in some way? What if they reject me? I, I think sometimes we're so afraid that the world might get in that we put walls up so high that we act like Jesus can't get out. Of course, that's not true. Jesus is going to be proclaimed. The message is going to happen, whether it's us or the rocks, Jesus says. They're going to cry out and tell about him. But church, it's our calling. It is our job to be sharing the truth of the gospel with the lost around us. The example of Paul is calling us to welcome all who would come, every single one. To welcome those that God has placed in your sphere of influence. Who in your sphere of influence are you holding at an arm's distance because you're like, I don't want any of that. He's calling you to welcome your neighbors and your family members who think differently and your coworkers and all in your sphere of influence. Are you welcoming everyone? I will value the mission. I will welcome everyone. The last challenge from the book of Acts is this.
I will preach Jesus. No surprise here. Shouldn't be, I hope. But I will preach Jesus. Look at verse 31. What is Paul doing? He welcomed all who came. And what did he do when he welcomed them? He didn't just make them a nice meal. He didn't just hang out with them. He had a specific purpose in mind. What was it? It was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's what he did in verse 23. If we look back, we see he opens the word of God, and it's one of the longest quotations in the entire book of Acts from the book of Isaiah. He opens the word, and he proclaims the truth of Jesus to these people. We could go back and back and back and back and see what does Paul do over and over and over. He opens this book, and he tells them about Jesus. And it's what we should be doing. We should be preaching Jesus through the truth of the scriptures to the people around us. We should be teaching them the depths of the riches of the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ. We should be able to do that with boldness and not hindered. Look, the guard doesn't stop Paul. The government isn't stopping Paul. The Jews aren't stopping Paul. So he boldly proclaims Jesus because Jesus is the only hope that Paul has. The only one. We preach Jesus when we love Jesus. We preach Jesus because we, are, we know we are loved by Jesus. Doug, you're handy. Can you come, come here for a minute, Doug? I already made fun of you about Purdue, so let's just keep it going. So I'm going to hand this to Doug. Are you right-handed or left-handed? This matters. So put this in your left hand. So hold it up. So if Doug squeezes this Twinkie, what's going to come out? <laughs> Processed filling. That's very true. Well, prove it to us, Doug. Come on. Hey, yeah, I want you to squeeze it. Do it. Come on. <laughs> I, got, I got some. Oh, see, look. Cream filling comes out. Here you go. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't do it because then I wouldn't be able to preach the rest of the way. What happens when we are squeezed? What's inside comes out. This is true. You can't squeeze a Twinkie and get chocolate filling unless it's filled with chocolate filling. I don't even know if they make a Twinkie like that. But you are going to get what's inside. You're going to squeeze it. It's going to come out. What pours out of us is what we are filled with. Let me prove it to you. Luke 6, verse 43 says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What we are filled with is what will come out of us. So if we want to be better proclaimers of Jesus, what do we have to do? We have to fill ourselves more with Jesus. Jesus will not overflow from you if he is not full in you. So what are you filling yourself with? What are you fixing your gaze on? What do you run to the most? We can't. 
we won't proclaim Jesus if we are not in a passionate pursuit of a deeper relationship with him. We won't be willy-nilly about our walk with Jesus and then be amazing proclaimers of who he is. Because it's not going to come out when you're bumped. When you're squeezed, what comes out? Look, church, if you hear nothing else from the entire book of Acts that we have preached, hear this, pursue Jesus. A deeper, a fuller, closer relationship with Jesus. When we are all in passionate pursuit of that, the witness will follow. But I I started off saying, I can't guilt you into that. I don't want to stand here and say, just be a better witness. Just be a better witness. Just get it done. Go out and talk to your neighbors. Go out and talk to your neighbors. That'll last for like a week. Like we've all had those experiences. You go forward at some event or church camp or whatever, and you're like, yes, I'm going to take the world for Jesus. And then like three days later, you're like, what did I say? What did I do? It's because guilt doesn't work. A passionate pursuit of Jesus is what it takes. You want to more faithfully proclaim him, and I pray that that is your heart, then you have to more faithfully pursue him. I'm going to proclaim what I'm most fired up about. Let's make it Jesus. So where does Luke ultimately end the book of Acts. What's interesting is he ends with Paul in prison. God has accomplished his purpose for Paul in Rome and the gospel is going forward. He doesn't give us Paul's execution. In fact, biblically, we don't even necessarily know what happens to Paul. We, we see that historically. But Luke doesn't give us that because he wants to end on the note that the gospel is winning. It's going forward. God is going to win the day. We have this same promise. Look at Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We have this promise. Hell does not win. Satan does not win. The church will be built, which means people will come to know Jesus because that is how the church prevails. That is how the church is built. And the question for us from the book of Acts is this. What part of the story do I want to play? Because it's going to happen. But the joy is we have the ability to join in the story, to be a part of the story, to be used of God in the building of his church. And I can tell you, it is the greatest joy to be in a place where God is moving and working and see that and be a part of it and experience it. So how will you participate in the greatest story ever told? So here's how I want to end the book of Acts. I want to pray. And I don't want to pray just ambiguously. I want to pray specifically for a couple of things. Some of you are in this room and you've been catching this vision. You've been falling deeper in love with Jesus and you've been sharing the truth of the gospel with other people. And also, you're probably the ones feeling the most convicted that you need to do it more. But what I want to tell you is press on. 
Don't grow weary in doing good. God will bring the increase as you faithfully sow the seed. Continue to be faithful. You've probably... probably got like four copies of a personal strategic outreach tool in your house somewhere all collecting dust. They've not done anything. You've not filled out any part of it. I'm not saying that that's the end all be all. It's just a tool. You've felt the conviction of the spirit and you've ultimately resisted. Let me tell you, let today be the day. Sometimes we need to draw that line in the sand and say, no, I'm going to change. This is going to be different. I want to be in more passionate pursuit of Jesus. And so for you, here's my challenge. Get out of your seat this morning. Take a step. Come forward. Pray that the Lord would ignite this in your heart. Because if we've been here for two years over and over and over and the Spirit's been working, He's been nudging, He's been challenging, and that needle hasn't moved, it's time to make a change. So my challenge to you is to come forward and pray this morning. Pray this. Pray that this wouldn't just be a a this morning thing. Pray that this would be a Jesus growing in your heart to proclaim to other people over and over and over. I'm just going to leave it open for you this morning. However the Spirit is prompting you, I want you to pray. I want you to come if you need to come. I want you to gather around with some other people if you need to, or just pray by yourself. Whatever the Lord is doing in your heart, let's do that now. We'll spend a couple minutes in prayer, and then I will come and close this. We need you to ignite our hearts, both in a love, a deeper love for Jesus, and in a strong desire to engage those around us. We need a supernatural boldness. We need an equipping. We need you to work and move in our hearts because we cannot do this on our own. You have to bring the increase. 
God, but I pray, I pray for a steadfastness in being faithful to the thing which you have called us, which is proclaiming Jesus to the world around us. And then a trust that you will do with that what you will do with that. I don't need to make a name for myself. I don't need to make much of me. I just want to make Jesus great to those around me. And I pray for that heart and passion for Redemption Bible Church. I pray that that would not end with the book of Acts preaching series. I pray that this would be truth that endures in our hearts, that endures in our message for years, for decades to come. We're trusting that you're going to do that work because it's you and you alone. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I just want to mention quickly, because I forgot to, in your bulletin, there are two QR codes. If you're like, what in the world is the personal strategic outreach tool? That's the one on the left. And then there's also a booklet about how to share the gospel on the right that you can get digital copies of as well. So, all right. Thank you, church. Have a great week. You are loved.